we found out that we were pregnant, which was really shocking because I just prepared myself mentally, you know, for the worst. When I went for the first scan and I looked at the screen of the sonogram and you could clearly see two sacs, and he goes, hmm, there's a chance that you might be having twins. Welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle. Today is Valentine's Day, and across the world, there has been a rekindling of love for science. Thanks to COVID-19 vaccines and medical breakthroughs, that love goes beyond medical research and directly touches the people helping to make scientific progress. We talked to two researchers today who share what it's like to build a relationship and a family while pursuing a career in research. We have Kim Simfendorfer, an assistant professor at the Feinstein Institutes for Medical Research, and her husband, Michael Ryan. He's the director of clinical research at the Feinstein's Institutes for Medical Research. Thank you so much for joining us today to tell your story. Valentine's Day is a time when we celebrate love, and you'll have to tell us about how you met and how your relationship developed in the lab. But first, tell us about your love for science. I um, feel like really lucky that I get to do this job uh, because we basically uh, spend all day thinking um, about how biology works and with the hope that it can lead to something that will help um, treat and cure disease. Uh, And um, I love that we get to be creative, that we get to play with data. We work with really super, super smart people, very, um, very ambitious and hardworking people. Um, And so honestly, it's great to be part of uh, such an incredible team and just do such interesting things every day. Yeah, I mean, the big thing for me is is I've always really enjoyed working for Northwell and for Feinstein uh, in general. And it gives you a sense of pride that you're you're doing something for the greater good to help people, um, you know, just helps put passion into what you do. Uh, so, and I've always liked working in labs and with samples and with smart people. So it's been really a great experience. Awesome. Are the, are the twins waking up? Yeah. Can you hear them? go grab them if you want to get a quick shot. Of- yeah, that'd be great. That's awesome. Kim, as Mike goes to get the twins, why don't you tell us how you wound up at the Feinstein Institutes for Medical Research? I did my PhD at the University of Melbourne. And uh, what I really am interested in studying is uh, the genetics of human autoimmune disease. And so I found Peter Gregerson, the director and the center head of uh, the genomics and the genetics center at the Feinstein Institutes for Medical Research. He's a world-renowned geneticist uh, and Uh, also happens to have a repository for studying healthy individuals in the human population called the Genotype and Phenotype Registry. And that is one of the main draw cards that brought me here because I think that is a brilliant way to study uh, human genetics. Aw. Is that Luna? This is Luna. She's the bigger one. Aw. Oh, hi, Luna. And Estella, Steffi. Yeah, Steffi. Steffi. Oh my, are they ident- so they're identical. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever mix them up or you know now? Oh, uh, we occasionally when it's dark. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the big sister is Thea. That's right. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of smart women. There you go, right? Yeah, oh, the beautiful. 
Awesome. And Michael, what brought you to uh, Feinstein? Yeah, so I'm not as uh, complicated. <laughs> yeah, so uh, after school, I know I just like working in labs and in science. Uh, so I really just wanted to work in a lab. So I interviewed at Northwell and actually got a job uh, as an accessioner over at Core Lab for my first year here. Um, and then I heard of an opportunity at the Feinstein uh, with Dr. Gregerson and Dr. Annette Lee, interviewed and then um, got the position. And I've been with them for almost 20 years now. Tell us a little bit about how you two came together um, and how you started started your um, you know relationship. Uh, so, uh, well, when I joined the Feinstein Institute, so I uh, obviously came to New York on my own. I didn't know anyone, um, so I was keen to make friends. Uh, and Mike was a really friendly face, and so we initially just became friends and chatted in the lab most days uh and the really nice thing was I was living in Queens at the time so I would take the Long Island Railroad uh, to come into work and um would initially uh took the bus and so because Mike lived locally and had a car he was nice enough to offer me a ride and uh, that sort of morphed into him giving me a ride to the train station most days and Michael, how did that relationship, that friendship turn, turn romantic? Well, uh, um, well, it started out obviously it's just, you know, getting to know Kim and driving her all, like, you know, get, spending time every day. And uh, one day I kind of invited her out to have drinks one evening at, at, a, at a local bar. And, um, you know, from that point on, she kind of just never left. And it was great. So <laughs> pretty much it was on from there. If we, uh, we spent all the whole weekend together after that. And, uh, and then we pretty much spend say what 80%, 90% of our time together. It's great. Once you guys just started, uh, decided to start a family, what did that look like for you? Uh, so the funny thing is that when we first got together, we didn't think we wanted kids. Um, and after a few, uh, trips to Australia, um, and spending a lot of time with my nieces and nephews, uh, we kind of changed hands on that. And so after we got married, um, we started trying and after six months of not falling pregnant naturally, we um, decided to seek some help with fertility. Uh, we learned that we have infertility and so that was really the beginning of our IVF journey. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that, that journey. Uh, it could be a difficult journey. Tell me a little bit about it for you guys. It is a very hard and long process. And so from the point where we started to the point where we uh, fell pregnant with my, our first daughter, Thea, um, was almost three years. Um, the highs are high and the lows are low. And uh, so in a nutshell, we actually did three rounds of retrieval. So that's a lot of injections and uh, three operations. Um, and our first attempt at transferring an embryo failed. Um, and so after, after that, what was our second and third retrieval? And we decided to do the um, the two lots of retrievals because in the second retrieval we only uh, obtained one good embryo and so we knew that we probably wanted to have more than one child and that if we didn't uh, get and freeze more embryos at that time that uh, I would be 
a few years older probably um, before uh, we were able to get and save those. And so we ended up banking a bunch of embryos um, and the first one of those that we transferred um, I fell pregnant with and uh, and that uh, became our daughter Thea, who's now two and a half. Yeah, so I just want to add to that. So the yeah, the overall process was pretty stressful. Um, insurance only covers three full rounds of uh, retrievals and transfers, which is why we kind of decided to. I mean, after the first round wasn't that successful, we decided to go through with the final two rounds. Um, and that's that's lifetime technically, so we can't insurance won't really cover any more procedures at this point. Right, it's also a very expensive process. So yeah. we basically burned through the medication allowance um, for our lifetime in the first round of retrievals. So after that, um, the medication, which is very expensive, was all out of pocket. Wow. Does it make it uh, more difficult or easier for you as researchers and in, in having a scientific background to go through this process? I think it helped us because both of us like to follow protocols. And so although it's hard uh, and painful and um, and very wearing on your emotions, at least you know where you're going and at least you know what you'll be doing on day 10 and what you'll be doing on day 12 and you'll know, um, you know, the moment that you're not pregnant and in the moment that you might be pregnant. Um, so it's exciting. Uh, and in a way you feel like you've got some semblance of control at least. Right. And so tell me then, then twins come along. Tell me a little bit about that. We had originally agreed that we would try for a girl and then a boy. Um, but we kind of changed our minds and both growing up without Mike never had a brother. I never had a sister. Um, we decided it might be nice to try to give Thea a sister. And so we had one remaining female embryo. And so we thought, all right, we'll try this one first. I was absolutely convinced that it wouldn't work and that, um, and that we'd then have to go back again and, and, and try another time. Uh, and then we found out that we were pregnant, which was really shocking because we, I just prepared myself mentally, you know, for the worst. Um, and so that was like a lot of tears and um, of happiness. <laughs> and then um, when I went for the first scan, we... Uh, the, the doctor who wasn't my, the doctor who actually performed the transfer of this particular embryo. And so he's looking and he says to me, how many embryos did you put in again? And I said, one. And then I looked at the screen of the sonogram and I, you could clearly see two sacks. And he goes, hmm, there's a chance that you might be having twins. Um, and at that moment, I just knew that it was going to be twins for sure. How excited were you uh, for that? And how excited was Thea? Um, I don't think Thea really understood for a while. Because we, we actually named them uh, early. Um, so it's uh, Luna and Steffi are the two twins. So we would always refer to them as Luna and Steffi. And I think she always just thought it was one thing. I don't think she understood that it was really two. Well, we did teach her because yeah. everyone would always ask her how many babies are in mum's belly and she'd say two. Um, but being so little, we're not really quite sure how much of that she understood. Uh, but no, she's a great big sister. <laughs> <laughs> 
how, how wonderful is this for you and the family? What is this like? You seem over the moon. Um, it is great. And Mike's from a really big family. And so it's a kind of amazing, actually, that this was the first set of twins in on his side of the family. My side of the family actually has uh, three sets of twins. And so um, not such a amazing, wonderful, like it is amazing and wonderful, but it's not as new as it is uh, here not, in the yeah. New York family. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's a miracle, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I think we're, we're very, very lucky. Awesome. And Michael, what's it like to be raising three girls? Uh, it's it's challenging, but it's, it's good. It's great. Uh, they're all lovely kids. Um, you know, sometimes I feel like it can be easier, but I just worry about the later years. Yeah. Uh, you know, being yeah. being a dad to teenage girls is kind of scares me, but... <laughs> each, each day at a time, right? Yeah. So, Michael, during the height of COVID, uh, you were part of the COVID-19 response team. What did that look like for you and for your family? So that was a, yeah, it was a tough time. We were still uh, living in Manhattan at the time um, and Kim was pregnant and we had, and Thea was less, still less than two. Um, So my, my response was basically I had to help in the lab. So we set up a triage lab in the bottom of LIJ, um, old micro lab area to help support lab uh, operations for sample collections for both the uh, Regeneron trial and um, other biobanking activities that we were trying to do around collecting research samples to study COVID-19. Um, and I was pretty much in the beginning of it while we were setting up the lab operations, doing about like eight, nine, 10 hour days on site um, and then coming home, you know, having to, uh, to take off my clothes, wash everything and just, I was just worried about coming home and getting everyone sick. Sure. Kim, what was it like for you, you know, being pregnant with twins during, you know, this pandemic? Um, so I think the the blessing was that the vaccine became available right around the time that I got pregnant. And so um, I was really worried about, myself being sick or my babies being sick, um, especially with COVID, because when Thea was born, she um, was in the NICU for six days. She ended up with a collapsed lung. um, And that was really probably the hardest six days of our lives. Um, And having twins, a lot of twins need NICU time. And um, I was we were really scared that I would be out of action more so um, from getting sick than um, just recovering from a C-section. And so luckily um, for us, um, the vaccine uh, became available and we were recommended by our doctors um, that I should take it. And that really gave us a very strong sense of protection um, and relief, to be honest. Yeah. Does your background in science uh, also help you to be reassured? Uh, it, it helps me to be less worried about these uh, conspiracy theories and, um, you know, alternative facts. Yeah. Um, and so uh, 
you know, I, I do understand that how the biology works. Um, and so things that uh, might scare others if they if they don't know what's good information and not um, was less intimidating to us, I would say. Yeah, but having worked in science and, and research, you know, we kind of understand the scientific process and, and trusts in, in how it works. Awesome. So the big question is, how do you plan on spending Valentine's Day? <laughs> I think a nice quiet day at home with the family, uh, taking care of the kids and, you know, just spending good time together. Awesome. Yeah, we don't go out much these days, so probably not on a date at a restaurant, but maybe we can postpone that for a month or so and, and have a night out, just the two of us, uh -huh. <laughs> which hasn't really happened yet. <laughs> Awesome. You deserve it. Well, thanks, Michael and Kim, for joining us here on 20 Minute Health Talk. We wish you and your family the best and also wish you a very happy Valentine's Day. Thanks. Same to you. Thank you. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank you. Part of Kim and Mike's story as a couple was undergoing in vitro fertilization to get pregnant. Joining us now to talk more about IVF and the role partners can play is Dr. Sarah Pachman. She is a maternal fetal medicine doctor and Dr. Pachman is now the newest member of the 20 Minute Health Talk team and she's going to lend her expertise and insight in a way only she can. Dr. Pachman, so great to have you here on 20 Minute Health Talk. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and so excited to be part of this team. Today we're talking about what is IVF, kind of what are some of the challenges, and what are some of the top tips that we can give to spouses or partners for patients undergoing IVF to make the process and the journey hopefully a little bit easier. So IVF is just the treatment for infertility. I remind my patients infertility is a disease just like diabetes, just like hypertension. And IVF is one of the treatments. It involves collecting eggs from ovaries, collecting sperm, making embryos, and implanting that embryo into a primed uterus. What are some of the challenges? There's a huge emotional and kind of physical stress that goes along with it. It's a lot of appointments. It's injections of medications at timed intervals every single night for a short period of time that actually goes by really fast, but it still is time, money, and physical and emotional drainage. IVF has a very, very high success rate. It is the first line treatment for infertility, especially in patients who've been trying for a long time. There's a lot of things that partners can do to help support the process and be there for partners while they're on their journey. First, let's go through some tips on how to offer tangible support to your partner. So many times I have patients come to my office really ready for this appointment. We're talking preconception. We're talking how to get pregnant. We're talking how to have a healthy pregnancy. And all of a sudden they don't remember all the questions that they had two hours ago in their head. I find it really, really helpful when partners or spouses keep a list of questions. And as the days are going on, Put them in your phone, write them down on a piece of paper, come to the visit, adding extra support to everyday living, plan some dinners, do some date nights, have flowers ready or something ready for when she's coming home, especially if she's still having to work is always super helpful. Being there for her in an emotional way, sharing the burden. I 
always remind my patients that it's, this is a two-person job and a two-person commitment. If you can get ice packs or heat packs or little things to help alleviate the pain and even learn how to give injections, it's more supportive than you could ever even realize. And then just be committed. Come to the appointments, be there for her, learning the lingo and knowing the medical terminology and being able to discuss that and share that with her is very, very important and the best way that you could be supportive to her. Awesome. Dr. Packman, thank you so much. This is one of many uh, conversations we'll be having here on 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm so excited to be here and thank you for having me. Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.